Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Okay, we are live. Hello, everybody. This is In Conversations with Hannah. I'm Hannah Weisberg. I'm editor of thejewishwoman.org. And today we have an amazing conversation with Bossy, Bashi Naparstik. Um, we're titling this, You're Not Alone, My Struggle with, Di- with Mental Health Challenges. And Bossy is going to be talking to us about her personal struggles. As a young mother, she was diagnosed with anxiety, bipolar, and depression. And she's going to be talking about what she learned along her journey to healing and recovery. Hello, Bashi. How are you? Hi. I'm glad to be here. So glad that you joined us. So tell us a little about yourself. First of all, tell us a little about your background and just a little about who you are, what you are. Okay. So my name is Bashi. I was um, born into a from family, into an observant family um, with seven siblings. Wow. I have a twin sister. Oh, wow. Who is I didn't fraternal. Know that. <laughs> yeah, fraternal. Um, and I attended. Beth from Montreal. I live in Montreal. And um, ever since I was a young girl, like life was pretty um, happy-go-lucky. Like I, I wasn't struggling at a young age, not that I recall. I had friends. I was, um, I was having an okay time at school. And um, when I hit... Um, puberty, 12, 13 years old, I started struggling. I was in eighth grade and um, I started having like internal struggles, not that I knew what they were or that I was able to express like I can today, but I did start struggling and I I was constantly, um, I wasn't at ease like like I was before. And I kind of started like questioning things and when I would be out with friends, I wasn't so present because I would be like, I just had like turmoil inside. And it, it, it started slowly, but before I knew it, I was, I didn't know it then, but I was experiencing a lot of anxiety when there was, when there were outings, even when recess would come around, I would have a lot of social anxiety. Um, and it developed through the years, like it got worse as time went on because it wasn't treated and I then I didn't have anyone to talk to I there wasn't therapy like there is now and um, also in school it wasn't spoken about nobody struggled like that so I was practically the only one going through it and my best friend was my journal I I just would write and write Um, I didn't show it to anyone and it was kind of like I want like I would use the word monster, but it was kind of like this secret that I was hiding from everyone around me because if anyone would discover what was going on inside me, they would shun me. They wouldn't want to befriend me. I was too complicated. I couldn't be like everyone else. Um, it sh- it just seemed to me like everyone else got it right, and I couldn't. I couldn't get my act together. Wow. So, so before you continue, I mean, what you're describing right now sounds a lot like what any teenager goes through, like how did you know that there was something or at what point did you, or how can someone know that it's maybe something more than just regular teenage struggles? 
like so many teenagers are feeling that anxiety, that social stress. There's so much yeah. going on in their lives at that age, especially. Yeah. That I don't think any teenager will feel just, oh, everything's great. You know, I mean, everything's the end of the world when you're at that age, you know, and everything, yeah. every, every challenge feels like it's, it's the world has just come crashing. So what did you feel that was maybe different than that? Or how can someone know that there is something that is different? Right. It's a good question. I'm so I think the first thing is like just talking about it and awareness and saying words like anxiety, um, you know, um, hormones, um, feelings, like all those words, you know, it just gives a little bit of an education and at least like a feeling of, okay, this is okay. You know, there's nothing that off. It's just, it's, it's anxiety, breathe through it. It's going to pass. I think for me, it was like, um, it was holding me back from having a productive life. And it was, it was affecting my studies, it was affecting my relationships. So I think that when it, when it starts having a lot of an effect during the day with with daily functioning, I think that then it's, you know, time to reach out to a professional or to, you know, to be able to share and get help. So but again, I didn't functioning, did, did your teachers notice? Did friends notice? Did your parents notice? No, I, I, I was, I was really somebody else on the outside. I put on the smile. I did what I had to do. I got good grades because I hid behind my grades. So especially by recess, you know, and, and studying, like it was something that I was able to get right. So I just dived in and, and did what I had to do to this day. Like there are classmates and teachers that tell me, you know, they had no idea there was something going on. I was also very fortunate to have a twin sister who, is very sociable and she had a group of friends and I joined them and it really helped me because I, I had that group of friends. I, I hid behind her. Um, so my struggles really went unnoticed. Um, even to the extent that like by recess, sometimes I would, I would feel so depressed, not knowing that that day, you know, that that was depression, but I would go like in the back staircase and I would just journal and I would kind of hide away from everyone because I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that nobody else was acting the way I was. So I was different. There was something wrong with me, but, you know, I had no idea what it was. Um, So what happened next? Like, how did you figure or how did you figure something was wrong? So I had very low self-esteem, low self-confidence. I've always loved singing. So that actually was one thing that, you know, helped keep me going, like being in choirs and, um, but when I was in ninth grade, I had a flu for a few weeks and I came to school and I started getting attention for me losing weight. And that actually led to me believing like, oh, wow, now I can get attention. People notice me. And I actually was practically anorexic. I, it, was, it was over the course of a few months and I went away for the summer and I, I came back not well at all. Um, my mother... Um, God bless her soul. She just passed away. So um, she was really there for me. She passed away recently? or She passed away recently. Yeah, almost a year ago. And she was really there for me. She stepped in and she said, you know, Bashi, we have to get you help. And she would not hear no. So Baruch Hashem, she she saved me from having to eventually be in the hospital. And instead, um, we had an intervention and an eating disorders doctor stepped in. And... um, she helped me and I started to recover. Um, 
And now as an adult, I've learned, you know, that eating disorders is a result of anxiety and depression. Like it usually, you know, stems from that. So that was one experience. I think that that experience um, was just added to the fire. Like it was just something else, you know, that I was struggling with. And, and high school was just a nightmare for me. So and, when you brought that intervention for the eating disorder, no one at all questioned if there was something more or treated your anxiety at that time? No, it no. wasn't. It, no. And I didn't, I still wasn't seeing it. I still didn't go to therapy. I just, we just addressed the eating disorder and that was that. And then, wow. and then I was on my own again, struggling um, in my own world, except that nobody knew what was happening. Wow. Um, and I, I really struggled like that for quite a few years. Um, I so was like, always, you didn't know, like there, there was something wrong. You just felt that something was different, but you didn't really realize that there was something that you should be seeking help for or getting yeah. help for. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I started, um, I was struggling through all those years. Um, and it wasn't until like, I was always searching for happiness, you know, because that was, that would make me feel better and that would, um, make everything better. So I, um, I always thought that the next thing in my life would be the answer, so I thought, you know, getting married would solve everything. And it didn't. And um, then I thought having a baby would solve everything. So there was always like that next, um, you know, event in my life would make me better. And it didn't work. But you were still, you were functioning? Like, were you functioning well or you weren't functioning? So I, I was always functioning on the outside. Always seemed like I had friends. I was a good student. I, I, you know, I was the kind of person who didn't ask questions. I just did what I had to do. I was, you know, helped at home. Like I just seemed to be okay on but the on outside. The inside, you just were feeling very depressed and full of terrible. anxiety. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. And there were moments where you know I did have a good time, or you know, but they were like fleeting moments. I kind of now that I've been in like an emotional recovery. Um, support group, I've, I've learned that, you know, emotions are like clouds. But when I was going through all that, it was really like a cloud constantly, like it was constantly gray. And every once in a while, there was a little sun that peeked out, but I was really, really struggling with depression. And um, in seminary, um, I had the second year of seminary, my first anxiety attack, which was a full blown attack, like I wasn't functional. Um, to make a long story short, my twin sister had gone away to Australia for seminary. We had never been separated. And I really came out of myself. Like all of a sudden, I it was like this whole identity. Uh, like I, I, I discovered parts about myself that I never knew because it was always very black and white for me. Like she was this, I was, I couldn't be that. And here I discovered more about myself. But when she came back from seminary, without even being able to control it. Like I was actually at that point seeing a therapist because my mom saw something was going on. And she explained to me, I was like a jack in the box. And I was slowly going back into my box when she came. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't control it. It I, it happened. And um, it was very confusing to me because I was so alive and I had so much energy that first year of seminary. The second year, I couldn't even go to seminary because I didn't understand what had happened to me. Again, I went back into that like hole of despair. So because of your sister, like you felt like you had to be in her shadow or you just had, 
yeah i kind of fell back into that role like it wasn't even her fault in any way right. like right of you know, course and of yeah course. and and she nobody understand what it understood what had happened to me but again this was a buildup of so many years it wasn't just you know one day i fell into i, I had an anxiety attack it was a buildup and i kind of think of anxiety i'm a very visual learner so i think of anxiety as laundry that you know if you don't do it it just adds up and adds up and it just catches up so fast and that's really what I was feeling like I started to get back into that mode of struggling and I couldn't understand why the first step had happened. And then before I knew it, I was I was not functioning. Um, I had actually flown to England for the second. Oh, we just lost Bashi. And. Uh... Hi, I don't know. Looks like. Are we live? Yeah, we're yeah, yeah. still live. Okay. We're back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. So I, that's okay. So I was just saying like the it was during the summer that I really um was suffering and it was finally like the summer before this year of seminary, but or after this, the year. This it was during the second year of seminary and so it was after a your summer, sister had already and, come back. Right? Yeah. And we had gone away the first month together, but I was I was supposed to be the head counselor. I couldn't even function. I couldn't it it was terrible and it wasn't it wasn't treated yet. So then I had plans to go all the way to England with a seminary friend and I did it. I flew out to England, but by then it was so terrible that I was non-functional. Like I was, I was getting up and going to camp, but I wasn't able to even put words together properly. I wasn't taking care of myself. It was really not good. And my mother flew out to England. She got like a passport, you know, express flew out there and brought me home and I was um I wasn't functioning at all um I wasn't even talking really I I just I I completely shut down and it was again nothing I could have controlled nothing anybody could have you know prevented it was that build-up and she tried a lot of alternative methods to help me like I just remember you know following her to different um holistic treatments and before I knew it, I was sitting in a, in a psychiatrist's office and I never heard the word psychiatrist. I had never met anybody in my life who had been to a psychiatrist um, and he wanted to give me medication. And I was brought up in a very uh, health oriented home. My mom was a midwife for many years and a nurse, um, but very into holistic, uh, you know, so for me, medication was the worst thing possible. Mm. But when I, I was put on antidepressant and I started slowly coming out of myself and I was finally able to start talking. And again, that episode was, you know, put in the, put in the back and I was able to continue living as I knew it. Um, but again, so without, under, you didn't stay under the, the, the help of this psychiatrist. So I did, I stay, I, I was with him for, um, well, he was following me for a good year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. And when I met my husband the following year um, and we were dating, I kind of broke all the rules. When I saw that it was getting serious, I was weaning off medication then. And I figured I can't marry someone while I'm hiding meds. So I opened up to him and I told him my struggles and what I was going through and what I'd been through. Because by then I was already a lot more functional. And um, he accepted me and, and you know proposed. And that was hopefully going to be the event in my life that would cure me but it didn't. Um, But I was functional at that point. I weaned off my medication. And for for many years, I wasn't on medication. 
Um, but there was always that fear inside that if anybody really knew my struggles, they would leave me. Hmm. Um, were and you so still I kept... in therapy with him or are you were just no more therapy? No, like, it wasn't, it wasn't yet part of our journey. Um, and I, I, and, you know, denial worked really well for me. I, you know, pretended that everything was fine. We had a perfect life. Baruch Hashem, we were, we were benched with um, four beautiful children wow. until, until um, you know, my illness uh, manifested itself again. Yeah, came up again. Um, so four children later, we were living in Florida on Shlichos. So, you know, um, we're, uh, trying to open a Chabad house and we were running a friendship circle. And, um, well, sorry, that was with three children. And then we moved on and moved back to Montreal, to my hometown. And we had my fourth daughter. Um, and when she was, as, and so just to put everything into perspective, we had four children under the age of four. Wow, that's a lot so, to deal with. Yeah, so <laughs> we were definitely be- uh, blessed with, uh, you know, a lot of toddlers and a lot of care and and. Um, after my fourth, um, we were going through a lot and I, um, I, I was experiencing my second postpartum depression. I, I experienced it with my first baby, but nobody, I didn't even know what it was called. Nobody told me the word postpartum. I just kind of went through it with my family. It passed and that was that. But this time, because we were going through a lot and I had four toddlers and I had so much on my plate. And I want to say that I was constantly, constantly trying to look perfect, you know, walking out the door with my children, they were all dressed, you know, and, and my, and my wig was on right and the lipstick. And that was my goal. And, and I had learned through my schooling that, you know, as a young Jewish woman, I am the Ikarat Habayit. So I am the foundation of the home and being given my character because I, w- I wanted to be the A-plus student, I took it very seriously. And I, I figured, like, I always had to look put together. I always had to have everything in order so that my family doesn't fall apart. And I took my role really seriously, but, you know, t- to the extent where, you know, my mental health took a turn for the worse. I couldn't mm-hmm. juggle it all. And I, I actually felt, felt my insides falling apart. And I remember calling a family member and saying, I'm falling apart um, and all the struggles that I was going through, you know, my own and, and ours combined was all hidden. I didn't share it with anyone. We were in therapy then, but for me, it was way too intense with all my responsibilities. And, and my, you know, my family member didn't see the falling apart on the outside. You know, I was sure. getting up, I was showering, I was getting the kids off. So um, I experienced for the first time in my life a manic episode which was extremely traumatic um, for myself, for my family, for my husband, for my children. I, um, I was like, I, people say, you know, how would you describe a manic episode? In my case, I was very, very impulsive, like very unlike myself, very impulsive. Um, my moods were like one extreme to the other. Um, I I what I couldn't care for you know I I wasn't um, able to be there for my kids then or for my husband or for anyone for that matter because I'd fallen apart and that was my biggest fear you know because I can't fall apart 
no matter what. And I never saw people falling apart. So everybody manages to keep it together so I can do it too. And then I couldn't. And I ended up in the hospital. Um, My mother, again, you know, she's always been there for me. And now she's there in her own way. Um, She stepped in. She took my baby, who was only a few months. She took care of her while I was in the hospital. And and my in-laws stepped in. And just the family was so supportive. Um, My husband didn't leave me. Thank God. And, and, you know, we picked up the pieces. Um, I came back home and I was really, really broken when I came back home because I came back to my community where I had, I, we had pretended I had gone away on vacation. Nobody knew what happened. So I had to, again, put on this show um, with the lipstick, yeah, dropping off my kids, and I would come home and I'd fall apart and I would cry. And I remember just saying to God, like, I, I, I just to retrack a bit, I really discovered, like, I was brought up religious with, with you know, Hashem and God. But to be honest, I, I discuss, I finally got a relationship with God when I was in the psych ward. Um, and what, what did that relationship look like? So the psych ward. I, I literally describe it as prison because I was in the locked ward because, you know, I, my, they had to really stabilize me a few times and they waited until the medication set in. Um, and that's when I was diagnosed bipolar, which, which really I had to do many years of therapy to work through. Um, but when I was in the psych ward, which you couldn't see out the windows, everything was locked up. I had to ask permission to get anything and they're afraid even a pen. So I always had to, I I had nothing on me. I was in a room without seeing out the windows with a, with a, with a sitter. That was all I was allowed. And that was, and that was my lowest. And I, and I discovered Hashem there. I said, you know, like I tried all my tactics, nothing worked. I wasn't getting out. Um, They extended my stay. And I said, God, you are the only one who's going to get me out of here. Um, so I came out a changed person, but again, it was a changed person inside because I couldn't show anyone the real me and what I had just been through. So I came home every day falling apart and I said, Hashem, you have to help me. You have to send me something like you can't leave me like this. You know, my kids need me. My husband needs me. I need me. And, you know, um, I came on Chabad.org because it's always been my go-to website, (laughs) for everything. And I met, I ha- actually happened to see a, a link to Emotions Anonymous, a 12-step group. And I was familiar with the 12 steps. So I clicked on it and I went to a website and it described my struggles to the T. It was, there was actually a checklist on the website and, and it said, you know, have you ever felt different? Have you ever felt depressed? Have you ever felt you know, not a part of when you were with people and just check, check, check. You know, I said, where do I go now? Hmm. And my first meeting was in the basement of a church. Um, I got permission to go and it was a French meeting. I, I was brought up in a French school, but I, I, it was the only time I went to the meeting and, and I was sold. I walked in and there was a grown man crying, you know, sharing his story. And something in me was just like, okay, I came home. Um, but I didn't go back to the meeting. I joined an online meeting and every Monday night, um, my kids knew mommy went into the bedroom and I had my meeting and it it kept me going. And I learned that I'm not alone. 
all of a sudden I was meeting people, you know, that had also struggled. And um, I got a sponsor. I started working the steps. I started learning that I'm powerless over my emotions. I can't control them. The only thing I can control are my actions and my attitude. And I learned and, you know, I took baby steps and, and I, I, I three steps back, two steps forward. Um, and for many years, I was in EA, in Emotions Anonymous, attending meetings and working the steps. Um, and then my baby turned two. And then she turned three. And I really wanted to be like every other woman that I knew who could just have another child and could just, you know, have children and, and not every woman, but I, I, I was hoping that I would be blessed with more children. But um, because of our experiences, what we had been through it was such a trauma to even, you know, bring up the idea of having another child. And um, I, I slowly started accepting that maybe it's God's will that I'll have these four beautiful children and Hashem doesn't want me to have more. And I'm, maybe I'm not able to. And at the hospital, they had told me, you know, you'll be on medication for the rest of your life. You won't don't ever have kids like, you know, you have enough on your plate. So I really wanted to prove to myself, to the doctors, to, you know, that my diagnosis was not something that would hold me back in life from living a you know, a productive life. Um, so my husband and I were in therapy. Thank God we found a really great therapist. And, and therapy was now like a word that we used at home. And, and it was just, it was amazing. And we both, um, we both were in recovery in the 12 steps. And we, we really grew as a couple. Um, and eventually, like with the help of our therapist, we were ready to, to have, to try to have some more. And Baruch Hashem, we were blessed with three more beautiful children and also very close together. Wow. And I thought that that nightmare was behind us, you know, that we were good to go. We were in recovery. We were healing the 12 steps at one point were only 12 steps. And then I started fusing the two together with my own, you know, uh, learning and, and concepts in Judaism, just, you know, fused together with the 12 steps. And I, I, I really, really, became closer to God, became closer to myself, you Can know, you essentially. Can you about that? Like how, how did you fuse the, the, how did you fuse Hasidic teachings and Judaism together with the 12 steps? For sure. Um, so I, I want to say I grew up with, a, like they say it's the God of their understanding as we're growing up. So it was my parents, God, the God of my parents' understanding, the God of my principal's understanding, but not my own God that I had discovered. And he was, for some reason, he was very punishing. I don't know why. I, you know, I, I, but like, it was kind of like if I, if I wanted to watch a movie, I had to get some brownie points in because for, in, in my mind, as a very visual learner, he has like this clipboard and he's ready to just punish me constantly. Um, but when I was going through the 12 steps and, and it's all about, you know, discovering a higher power and, and, you know, and, uh, like, by the grace of God, you know, that we can be in recovery and in healing, I started to discover like the most compassionate, loving Hashem. Um, And it was so much easier to live life with a loving God, you know, because he wasn't out to get me and he had helped me and he had saved me numerous times and he was always there for me. And it was, it was life changing. I always say it was like a second chance at life. 
because I really could have continued just living that way. And I was given this, you know, amazing gift of healing um, and being able to discover myself. And, and so Hasidus explains that inside myself is a spark of Hashem. So I really got closer to that, you know, part of me and that part of God, you know, connecting with him, you know, who created sure. me. I guess you were relearning a lot of the concepts that you were brought up with or yeah. the ideas of Hasidus, but where you were reliving it in a way that was more appropriate and more applicable to your life to seek yeah. out in a more compassionate way. Wow. Yeah. So God became a lot clearer to you. Much clearer. And he was like, I was always talking to him before, like it was very organized religion. You know, I open a siddur and then I pray and that's when I talk to him and then I close the sitter and he's at, he's on to the next person. So he wasn't as present in my daily life, but here it was like, God, help me find a parking space. God, like I heard people saying that, but for me, it was very foreign. Like, but here it was like, no, no, no. He was really, from the moment I opened my eyes, um, in the 12 steps, my sponsor was encouraging me to learn mindfulness and meditation to ground myself. And I realized, you know, that out there, maybe other people are looking for mindfulness and, and looking for ways to meditate. But we've been gifted Moda'ani, which is, you know, I mean, so many of the prayers are mindfulness and meditation. And the my favorite prayer that I connected with was Moda'ani. Because the moment I would open my Tell eyes... Tell us a little about what Moda'ani is, for those that don't know. Definitely. So Moda'ani is the, the morning prayer. It's the first prayer that we say when we open our eyes, you know, as a Jew. And it's actually um, the prayer that can be said before washing hands. Like, it's very... It's a very, very special prayer. It's very dear to me. And um, when I opened my eyes in the mornings, I had maybe like a second of peacefulness. And then the anxiety would just come on without warning, not asking me, do you mind if I, you know, <laughs> like it was just there. And, and my, my head was racing and my I was like on a treadmill of anxiety and I couldn't control it. And I was in therapy and my therapist said, why is Moldani your favorite prayer? So she said to me, one day she said, Bashi, you can choose. Either you choose to take that, like a, she knows I'm very visual, either you choose to take a backpack of anxiety or you take gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe that it was possible to have gratitude help with anxiety, but I experienced it. And I tried. I said, you know, what have I got to lose? So Moda Ani, the first word is gratitude. And the reason why it's my favorite is because it's at the start of the day before all the problems set in or all my, you know, it's, it's just the first word that we wake up with is gratitude. And in Hebrew, grammatically, it, it would be animode, I am grateful. But it's designed, the prayer is designed in a way that the first word that I say is not ani, I, it's gratitude. It's just that humility and that absolute you know gratefulness to god you know that I, I was able to open my eyes this morning and and it continues the prayer continues so gratitude grateful i am so it's very humbling so grateful i am lefanecha before you melechai v'kayam a god who's you know everlasting and forever uh, a, a king ever uh, everlasting king that you returned my soul to me because he's the creator um, with mercy. And what I've learned is that mercy, and I'll credit my husband for this uh, thought because he's the one who shared it with me, that mercy 
is that even if I'm not deserving of my soul today, or I'm not deserving of a new day, maybe I, you know, messed up a bit, or I, you know, I, God is restoring my neshama to me, my soul to me with mercy. He wants me to be alive. He, and the last words are so powerful. Rabba emunatecha, he believes in me. And he believes that, you know, I'm going to make this day the best day that I can. And he knows my struggles. And my my relationship with Hashem is, you know, sometimes I talk to him and I say, God, you created this problem. <laughs> and, you know, because he's so loving, he can handle it. And I say to him, so you send me some solutions. Like, you know, you've got everything. You've created it all. So you must have all the solutions. And, you know, help me out of it. Um, and he can handle it. Um, and I want to add that. When I was in the hospital, I got very mad at God. And I'm saying it because my biggest fear was that if, you know, we curse God or get mad at him, again, visual, a fire will come out of heaven and consume me. And I got very mad at him. And for the first time in my life, I broke down and I I was mad. Like I wasn't that perfect student. I said, God, what are you doing to me? And I didn't say it in those words, but you can imagine how upset I was and that's when my relationship began because all of a sudden he was this real something in my life that was doing this to me. And, and that's when we really started, you know, developing a relationship. Yeah. I guess anger is a real, a real emotion. You can't have behind it. So you're, you're feeling anger because you believe in the goodness of God. And if he's doing something that doesn't feel so good, you're angry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and anger is a good feeling because it's 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 uh it's also acknowledging that he's in the picture. Exactly. It shows the extent of your belief, you know, yeah. that otherwise why are you angry at God? If if there's no God, then why are you angry? But you're yeah. angry because you believe in God and you believe in his goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, so what happened next? Like what what happened after? Yeah, so I I started learning tools like like little nuggets of wisdom like um one day at a time just take it one day at a time and in chassidus you know um i i started in chassidus i learned that it's one minute at a time one second at a time you know so it really helped ground me explain that a little bit why why is it one second at a time yeah so um before that i just want to say that with anxiety anxiety is because i'm thinking about the future so if i was even in a moment like having a positive uh interaction with maybe a family member and thinking wow i'm so lucky to have this person in my life my anxiety would set in and all of a sudden i'm worried that they're gonna die one day and i'm at their funeral but i'm in the meantime i'm just having this interaction sure. so anxiety just took me away you know it just feels your moment. mind to all different kinds of places yeah so that saying, and they say that the 12, in the 12 steps, it's a complicated program for, uh, sorry, it's a simple program for complicated people. Okay. So just the simple slogans, you know, that again, connected with Hasidus helped me. Um, one second at a time is that God is literally every second recreating every creation. So he's recreating me. He's recreating, you know, the water bottle that's sitting in front of me, like everything that's happening in this moment is by the grace of God. And so how does that, that help you? why is that? It helped me come back to this moment, and and actually gratitude. They say is the is the exact. It's the opposite of anxiety. So it can't stand together with anxiety. They can't mm-hmm. live together. So for me, gratitude is practically speaking every morning. And you know, obviously, I have days that I can't. But every morning, I I. 
I try to um, check in with a member in the 12 steps. And we both share five gratitudes and five victories. And victories can be anything from, you know, I, 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 I didn't scream at my kid, you know, I walked away from there, or it could just be I made myself a coffee this morning, you know, I, I, it could be anything. And it just changing, like, I learned that attitude of gratitude, Mm-hmm. And I can control my attitude. So obviously, when I wake up, there's always things that are thrown at us and, and you know, surprises along the way and challenges and, and um, gratitude, focusing on my gratitudes and what I'm doing right instead of what I haven't done yet or what I need to do. It helps me get a more positive frame of mind, which obviously helps me function better. Wow. Yeah. And, and um at first, it was very unnatural. I wasn't used to thinking of gratitude. I was used to going to bed with this checklist of what I didn't do yet. Mm-hmm. And instead, I learned, you know, before going to bed, take your veggies. Mm-hmm. So veggies are victories and gratitudes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, falling asleep thinking, hey, what did I get right today? And what am I grateful for? And waking up with that. And obviously, I have those days where, you know, it's, it's hard and I can't do it on my own. And that's why I'm not alone. And I have people I can reach out to. I have a loving God. Um, I have a supportive husband who's, you know, um, and a beautiful family. And 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 finally, finally, um, uh, after my mother passed away, um, again, I thought my nightmare was behind me and we were, you know, growing and healing. I experienced another postpartum depression after my baby, who's almost one year now but she was about uh, three months and I wasn't sleeping well because of my mom and many, many um, factors that came together to create the storm that happened. Um, I experienced another manic episode and um, I ended up in the hospital once again. I had been off medication for many years. About like a half a year ago? Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you had such emotional turmoil, a mother who passed away, you just gave birth to a baby. Yeah. And she that. had been diagnosed with a very quick, um, uh, with a very quick illness that took her. Wow. And it was just so many, um, fa- so many reasons why, you know, it was a perfect wow. storm. Right. Um, but I, I've heard in the 12 steps, you know, it's people come together and a lot of people are scared of going to hell. And people in the 12 steps have been to hell and back. Like it's, you know, and, and here when I was hospitalized again, I literally said to Hashem, like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Like I thought that, I thought my first incident was hell on earth and you're doing this again. And, you know, again, I, 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 um, I came out a changed person and this time around after being broken again, um, and humble and a very humbling experience too, but extremely traumatic um, I came out and I realized I can't keep hiding because um, I didn't mention that at one point, um, a few years into recovery, I again was speaking to Hashem and I said, Hashem, I can't keep doing this on my own in this community. There's no other religious woman that has ever had a manic, a manic episode or depression. I, I didn't meet anyone yet. I knew one or two people. So I said, you know, you, I can't keep hiding in this community. And that's when he sent me, uh, someone had posted in my community in a group, the word postpartum depression and something in me got the courage to call her up. And I said, 
I've struggled with depression and it took so much courage. And I said, she said, I want to start a support group. And she said, I don't know where, I don't know what. And I said, I've been trying to start a 12-step group. I have the place, but I don't have the people. Because I didn't know that religious people struggle like me, right? I, And she had the people wow. that had reached out to her. So we started a 12-step support group in Montreal. Actually, the first English-speaking group. And it's been going ever since. Um we went on Zoom at one point and then, you know, tried to get back in person. But that kept me going because I was meeting other women my age or older or younger. It didn't matter because, you know, mental illness doesn't uh, discriminate. And it wasn't necessarily a religious group either. It's a spiritual program. I met non-Jewish women, too. And I got that support that I needed through those next few years. Like Hashem knew what I needed. But again... Once I was in the hospital this time around, I had a choice. And I've learned that in the 12 steps, the choice is mine. So I could either pretend nothing happened, and I'm just that bashi on the outside that everyone knows and everyone believes has a perfect life, or I can, you know, get real and, and really um, share who I am. Because because what I've learned in step four is that I have, I have weaknesses and I have strengths. And... To hide my weaknesses is not fair to me or to anyone around me. So this time around, I was very open about my experience. And I had some women, some friends, they came to the hospital. They visited me in the psych ward. Uh, We had little Fabrangans here and there. I had a 12-step meeting every day. I had my books and sometimes with other hospital, um, I was going to say the word inmates, but with other people in the hospital, we, we we would have a meeting and that would keep me going for one day at a time. Wow. And when I came out, um, I couldn't keep it a secret anymore. And the stigma of mental health is so real. And I was feeling it in my own life that I started realizing that I can keep living with that fear or I can start sharing. And what have I got to lose? Um, and the feedback that I got from sharing was not at all what I imagined um in what way what do you mean in the sense that people were so ready to start finally hearing the words you know mental health and and emotional illness and and whatever words I was using you know to describe what I've been through but you know I I do have a diagnosis and it took me many years to accept my struggles and I've been diagnosed depression anxiety bipolar and I, I don't wear them like as a badge of honor. I don't like have a necklace or, you know, a sign that says I'm Bashi and that's my degree <laughs> or my, but, but they, they have made me who I am today and that's who I am. You know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't choose them. I wasn't given a choice when I was born or either I have the predisposition. I, I know I have emotional weakness and it's not something I can run away from because if I run away from it, I'm running away from myself and I've learned that when I can accept myself and love myself, only then can I accept and love love people around me. Wow, this is spectacular. It sounds like you, you've taken such a difficult journey and such a deep, difficult journey, and you've actually exploited it for all its good by becoming stronger yourself, by strengthening your own relationship with God. And then not only that, but the second time around, you decided to share it with others. Yeah. And to help others overcome 
you know, in their journey. And that in a turn is strengthening you again in your journey forward. Yes. And it's, and it's healing. It's, it's, it's really healing. healing to be able to share. And like my husband says, you know, we can go through darkness and choose to turn it into light or, you know, it continues to haunt us. Wow. And in our life, we've chosen, you know, the first route, which is a lot more appealing. <laughs> but again, also as Hasidim, we learn that, you know, we're, um, we have that, we have that capability. The capability of? To turn darkness into light. And wow. there's always there's always something that good that comes from it. Sometimes it takes a while to, you know, I can't say that when I came out of the hospital both times I was grateful to God and skipping along and sharing. It took it, it took a lot out of me and it always does. And my family went through a lot, um, you know, but but the, my only option, you know, to continue living is to do what we have been born to do and, and to spread light and to amazing. Asha, you're just you're just amazing. You're a courageous, brave woman who's just amazing and wonderful in what you're doing. That's Thank ab- you. absolutely floored by this. Just incredible what you're doing. You should just keep on doing it and only spread light to other people that need it. Amen. What would you say to your younger self, knowing that you know now? What would you say? It's a good question. I think you know my sponsor told me a mantra. Actually, today I was just in. I was talking with her. She she told me something. I can't remember it offhand, but it was something like, "I'm okay, I'm loved, I'm safe." Like those three words. And she said it works so well with anxiety. And the kindest words that I heard when I came into recovery were the words, "It's okay." And you know, I I we I find that we grow up in a society which is um, all about you know like. Um, if, if there's a problem, fix it. And how do I fix it? And so in the 12 steps, I've learned that there's three A's. There's awareness, acceptance, and action. And a lot of times we jump from awareness to action. So my former self had problems and we had to fix it because I couldn't have problems. I could, you know, and then I, then I entered a world where people told me, Bashi, it's okay. It's okay. You know, and, and those two words, and had I heard those words a lot earlier on that just it's okay you know Mm. and and obviously maybe more exposure to therapy and knowing that everybody has their struggles and it's okay and this is just one of them and you'll get I don't know I I I don't know I don't know what would have fixed me and my former self but I know that I would have appreciated that acceptance and that love and and maybe I couldn't have given it just to myself but, yeah. but being exposed to that, um, those ideas, and that's why I share my story, you know, just beautiful okay. that you share it. It's really so courageous and brave of you that you share it. And it brings a lot of light to other people. Are any, how old is your oldest child? My oldest is 13. 13. Do you ever think about what you went through in those times? Like, do you look always, in- <laughs> but Baruch and- Hashem, she's not me. Thank God. Okay. She's not me. And she's- <laughs> But, you know, I, I've, my husband and I have become the opposite of what we were, where, you know, like the str- we didn't discuss struggles. And here it's like we just, you know, therapy. And my husband himself is becoming a, a therapist, a, a social worker. And, and, and my, my children have heard my story. And, um, you know, that years ago that would have been my biggest fear, that they ever know that I have a weakness. And here, you know, they know that I've been through my struggles. Um, and... 
I guess also part of it is being able to share, like we feel this big, dark secret and that makes the problem even bigger than what it is, you know, here by sharing and talking about it. That's part of the healing as well, probably. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what message would you like to tell anyone out there who is struggling? What should they know? What should they be aware of? Yeah. So, I mean, the first words are, you're not alone. There are so many out, uh, you know, so many of us out there that have either been through similar struggles or, you know, um, have been through our own struggles, but you're not alone. Um, Also the words, it's okay. It's okay, whatever you're going through. And um, being able to accept is one of the hardest things sometimes because I want to run from my reality. But acceptance, I've heard again in the 12 steps is that acceptance is the answer to my problems because the moment I accept, I'm not fighting my reality. I may not like it, but um, I'm accepting that, you know, and, and the moment that I'm aware that I'm struggling or that someone else is struggling, then we can find help, you know? So I think being true to ourselves, being honest, being accepting and knowing that you're not alone and that there's so much help out there. That's beautiful. Can you just share one last uh, idea about something from Hasidic teachings or something from your new relationship with God that you feel would enhance our lives, all of our lives? That's a good question. I'm trying to think (laughs) of all the... So I mean, many, I, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like it was so based on so many different ideas. Part, yeah, I can share ideas. my favorite story of the Rebbe. Um, sure. I never met the Rebbe. I thought that I did <laughs> that when I was a baby, but I think my mother said I hadn't. I and and so I remember discussing once with a young girl, you know, we were talking about like people have pictures of the Rebbe and what you know, and I told her, look, you know, I have a picture in the Rebbe in my house, but the Rebbe that is in my home. Um, and he's the kind of Rebbe, and here's a story where a young man came to him and he definitely was not dressed like the typical, uh, religious Jew, but he said to him, Rebbe, how can I be your follower? How can I be your chassid? And the Rebbe's response was, as long as you work on yourself a little bit more than yesterday, I'm proud to call you my follower. And that's my Rebbe. So, you know, it's, it's not about what I'm wearing, what I, what I'm, you know, not all the checklist and all that for me, it's just that simple, you know, it's just taking today and just one tiny step bigger than I was able to take yesterday. That's incredible. Yeah, that's what it wow. is. Bashi, thank you so much for joining us. You're incredible. I just thank wish you, you only happiness and strength and continued courage in your journey ahead. And I hope you succeed in making this stigma, not a stigma, but something that people can just heal from and just shine the light. You shine, you're shining such a beautiful light. May you continue to shine a glorious light on the world and the light that has become so much brighter because of everything that you've gone through. Thank you. Thank Thank you so so much. much. And thank you for this platform and all the interviews that I've seen already. (laughs) Thank you you for sharing your story. It's such an important story. And I'm sure it is going to affect people in such a strong and beneficial way. So thank you. Thank you for joining us.